All right, thinking about kids, as we're starting off, um, oh, you remember when you were a kid, I don't know, your first grade class, or if you were one of these kids that always had to have your hand up and ask questions, well, kids can be eager that way. When you ask kids about uh, what they understand about the Bible, remember that old Ark Link letter show what uh, kids say the darndest things? Well, here are some of the things that kids said about the Bible. Do you know when the first commandment, what that was all about? And one kid shot up his head. Yeah, the first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. <laughs> Solomon, one of David's sons, had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. <laughs> the people who followed the Lord uh, were called the 12 opossums. Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc. Yeah, right. So uh, then you have these songs. Joshua fought the battle of Jeratol, Jeratol. A Christian should only have one spouse of one kid. This was called monotony. And then you ask the kid, he said, well, about Jesus' birth. He said, yeah, Jesus was born because, well, he... He was born because Mary had an immaculate contraption. <laughs> there are times when our answers aren't really uh, on target like that, too, like Paul. Uh, but when you come into the book of Philippians, there are some things I want to make sure we're going to review today to make sure that we're all in line with what, what the Scripture says. Because today I'm going to do just a real quick summary um, and think about what... Uh, what was going on 2,000 years ago. And so my, my point today is that I've got four things I want to cover as we get into this. Um, and, they, and that didn't come out on the screen. This text thing is really kind of throwing me off today. But here's what we want to do. I want to go over uh, and take some liberty with some imagination to go into thinking about what, what uh, Paul was doing in Philippi in the Philippian church, and then I want to talk about uh, some of the principles that made this church a healthy church. Then we're going, going to ask some personal reflection questions and then try to appropriate uh, this book into our lives today. And so uh, real quickly, I wanted to jump into, uh, I'm not even going to try to do this because it's messed up here, so I'm, you won't see it either. But um, there are things that that Paul really had going on in the book of Philippians that, that sets this church apart from all of the churches. And the theme that I've said Wednesday night to the Bible study is that you can ask this question, God wants all Christians of all ages to blank and fill in the blank. And that answer in the blank is a transcultural, transcendent kingdom principle that you really should know. Because that is the, the secret of living in a healthy church. My metaphor for the Christians, uh, you've heard me say this, is the Beverly Hillbillies model where uh, Jethro and, and, uh, and Jed go out to uh, California and they uh, come out from a hillbilly culture in the Carolinas and, and then they are transplanted into a mansion that they don't know how to live with this luxurious mansion. And so a lot of Christians are like that. We, 
we are kind of paupers living in our old shack when God's given us so much in Christ, and we don't really understand that. And yet here, for Paul uh, to understand that Paul is going to be imitating what Jesus did in his disciples. And so if you get your Bibles, I want to take you back to Mark 3. In Mark 3, uh, Mark 3.13, there's, there's little phrases that I want you to pay attention to because this affects you and me. Mark 3.13 says, Jesus went up on a mountainside. You can imagine that in Israel. He, he goes up to a grassy knoll on the mountainside, and he called to him, underline those words, he called to him those he wanted. And they came. Mark 3.13. This is at the beginning uh, of, of the ministry where Jesus would call those 12 men by name, and then he would involve them, participate, uh, have them participate with him as he would demonstrate and, 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 and show the power of God as he walked in their world. And, of course, this particular situation, they saw him start the healing process. And, and, and I won't go into the next passage except to say that by the time you go seven verses later, and seven, 700 miles later probably, that the crowds had gathered around and Jesus was becoming very popular. Now, this was in Israel, so, of course, they would you have an easier time to connect and communicate with those that are Jewish. And notice 3.20, it says, And he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they couldn't even eat. Now, that's the New American Standard. Now, if you are following with me in the New American Standard, it says, He came home. Uh, What's, when you think of home, how, do you, how would you read this passage? And, and the passage is, well, whose home? And so you would think, well, Jesus went to his home, but it wasn't his home. And therefore, you see that little asterisk in the, in the New American Standard. It says that it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that he came, it's past tense, he went home, he came home. Uh, there's something about this passage that you won't get in English, and it says that Mark is trying to tell a story. And that little asterisk means it's present tense. It's actually happening. And so it would be better to be read uh, as it does um, uh, that he is going into his house. Uh, he, enter, he is entering into the house. There's Jesus. He's entering into the house. And so what you have with Mark telling the story, it's a live story as though he's reporting as it is happening in the, Hebrew, in the Greek. And yet in the English, we, we lose that. So he went into, his, went into the home, thinking it might, might be Jesus' home. But it's not Jesus' home. And so how can you tell that? Well, you have to go in the context. And it says, and he came home, he came home, he entered into the house, which is what the NIV says, and um, it says, when he came home, uh, all these people were gathered around. And it says, when his family, and there's your clue, if it were his family, he'd be at his house with his family. There would be, his family couldn't eat, the disciples couldn't eat. So there's a little twist here. But it says, when he came home, his kinsmen heard this. They said, boy, Jesus has lost his senses. 
He's lost his mind. What's he doing? All these people, good night. This can't happen. And so you can hear Mark kind of um, exciting and, uh, in this, telling the story, and there's a purpose for it. But, but in comes the Pharisees from Jerusalem, says, he's not only crazy, he's, he's really demonic. He's got an unclean spirit. He's possessed. Now imagine the scene that you've got Jesus' family pursuing Jesus. And it says that his four brothers, his mother and his brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, Jude, and Simon, his sisters aren't named there, but they go and they are standing outside. So you know it's not their home by reading the context. And so, so he, called, he called them, it says in 23, and here's a question I don't really have the answer for. How do you read this? He called them them being either the Pharisees or called the disciples. But he's either explaining some things to the disciples or he's explaining things to the Pharisees. But I think it's probably more to the disciples because they're inside. And they're saying, you know, he's got, a, he's got the satanic spirit. And Jesus would say to the disciples and probably to those who are following him, give him special insight, how can Satan cast out Satan? This is ridiculous. Don't they understand that if Satan is divided, if a kingdom is divided, if, if a house is divided, and I'm going to add into it, if your person is divided, if you're double-minded, you, you, you won't stand. You'll wobble. You won't stand firm. You'll be weak. And therefore, as Jesus would say uh, to them, the crowd was, and I get this note, the crowd was sitting around him. Now this is the part, I think this is kind of fun to picture in your mind, that Jesus is in this house, and in this house, he was at the center, and all the disciples and those friends who were following close, they were on the inside, getting the insight that Jesus was teaching them about what was going on on the outside. He always does that. He gives the believers a little edge. And so he says, the crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Jesus, your mother and your brother are outside calling for you. Now, another translation that says, uh, he answered and says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about, looking around at those who were sitting around him. Notice that the the closeness, the proximity of people who are listening to Christ as opposed to those who are standing outside clamoring, saying, he's lost his mind. Those inside know his mind. Those outside doesn't. But notice what Jesus says. Behold, my, bro my mother, my brothers, whoever believes in him, didn't say that, does it? It said, whoever intellectually thinks about God every now and then, no, it doesn't say that. It says, Whoever does, does, does. It's an active participation, movement, following Christ. Whoever does the will, he is my brother. He is my sister. She is my sister and my mother. And they were sit, seated in a circle around him. They heard them. And Jesus knew Jesus knew, as Paul would teach the Philippians, the same principle. You've got to sit at the feet of Christ. 
You've got to understand that religion will keep you on the outside, but this relationship will bring Christ on the inside. And therefore, to the Philippian church, Paul is going to write a different a letter in a different context, but it's the same principles that would give them the joy that Paul found, that the, those disciples found, and those who would follow Christ would find. Now, the interesting thing about this book, Philippians, if you read this little book, it is not a book about Satan. It's not a book about salvation, so to speak. It's not a doctrinal book. It's not a book about uh, confronting the culture. It's not about the Holy Spirit. It's not about Messiahship. There's so many things. It's not about the social ills or the military injustice. It's not about the second coming. It's not about a whole lot of things that normally churches are spending time talking about. And that makes them distinct. It is about how God developed a group of people who would sit around him, a vital community who would hear the word of God and do the will of God. And those people would understand grace. And you notice in this passage that Jesus, it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. He ends the book this way. He also begins the book this way, that grace and peace be with you. So these are the bookends of the Philippians' understanding of how they understand uh, God at work. Philippians is replete with healthy themes. So many nuggets in this book. God's work in them, maturing in a single-minded devotion to Christ, the humility of love. Paul would introduce them to the grace of Christ, the mind of Christ, the joy as the source of their strength in Christ to rejoice in the Lord always. But knowing them sitting around Christ would motivate them to participate in mobilizing the gospel of Christ. This church was the healthiest church, I think, in the New Testament, and therefore becomes a model because they focused on things that mattered. And Paul was laser-focused, on, and as, as you read through this book, as you know, but he anchored all that hope in the resurrection that Christ is going to come for us again. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. So these are the themes. Now I want you to picture this in your mind. It's Saturday afternoon in Philippi. The prayer group is not down at the river where they were, but now they're going to meet at Lydia's house. And they come from Lydia's house, and they're gathered there, and Paul has sent a letter through Epaphroditus. In the house was the jailer, was the, was the girl who may have been healed by Paul. And the jailer who beat Paul and beat Silas, he was there. You have uh, Yodi and Syntyche, and you have the friends, the friends that they're reaching for Christ. And all of a sudden, in through the door comes a Marcus and a, and a, and a Luke, and they've got in their hands bags of dates and raisins and and, and fruit, and bread, and goat cheese. And they come into the house, and they all gather together around Epaphroditus. And they're beginning to listen to Epaphroditus, and they're asking, well, how's Paul? How's Paul? We've been praying for Paul. Did he get that money that we sent? And, and they were concerned about, is he okay? 
And, and how about the other, Timothy and, and, and Epaphroditus, you were sick, I can't believe it. You're, you're doing better. And you've got this connection on a Saturday afternoon in Lydia's house. They, it's a nice house because she's a businesswoman, but they go out to her patio. And on the patio, they take a seat. And Epaphroditus begins uh, probably by singing a song, a song I made up, but you could hear him singing. I can in my mind. He came down from glory, set aside his crown. God honored his only son and made us his own. He carried the cross for us, for he was crucified. God raised his only son, and for our sins he died. Now that's a variation, but that hymn was Philippians 2.5. It was a hymn that whole section was a hymn, and in the afternoon they would sing and talk about Christ, about how he came, and, and now he's out in Philippi, and he's doing this elsewhere. And Epaphroditus then takes the scroll, then he unrolls it, and he reads Paul's letter. Now remember, there, there are no numbers, there's no chapters. It's a letter. It's a personal letter. We're eavesdropping in on friendships. And this letter is so filled, warmly filled with affection for the Philippians. And Epaphroditus reads it once. Fifteen minutes later, they say, read it again. Read it again. And they read it again. And then comes the discussion. They get the, they get the wine or the juice and the water, and they begin to talk about what Paul's talking about in Saturday afternoon. Can you imagine being there? They're talking about grace. They're talking about things. I like what Paul said here because that really helped me because I'm, I'm, my marriage isn't going very well. And I know that God, God's hearing me. I'm kind of anxious. I don't know where he is. He's off the service. I haven't seen him for a while. Another parent would say, you know, my child, I, he's in these sports and I don't get to see him very much and I'm losing touch. And you'd have personal stories coming in and Epaphroditus and the group would say, yeah. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Have no anxiety about anything. And the letters that Paul sent to them were to encourage them to say, you're going to be in these circumstances and you need to have God walk with you in those circumstances. Notice how Paul said to greet every saint and the brothers, those who were saints and those who were seeking and weren't saints and still learning to become aware of this grace, they would all talk about grace. They would all talk about salvation. But as he would talk about this grace, he would also explain that grace is unconditional. God loves us. God has saved us. God has given to us. Grace is unconditional. But he doesn't go into that very much because this group is a mature group. They've, they know the gospel of salvation, but they're going beyond it. This is a healthy, vital group. And as a group, they're going beyond because they understand that while grace is conditional, growth is not. Grace is unconditional. Growth is conditional. It means that your response will determine 
how much you grow, you're keeping the disciplines of the Christian life to put yourself at the feet of Christ, to listen to the word, to pray the word back, to be a testimony to others, and to fellowship with others. This is the way the church matures. And this particular church in Philippi was a very mature church because they weren't plagued by a lot of the things that Corinth had or Colossians had or Galatians had. This church had the secret of what it means to follow Christ and grow up. And that's what we want to look at. Growth is uh, unconditional. This is the agape love. But Jesus would say in Luke 19, 42, if you only knew the things that make for peace, the disciples would learn those things, that Jesus would give them peace. The same thing, Paul would say, if you only knew the things that would make you grow in grace. And Paul would teach us here in Philippians. He says, if you had known this day the things that make for peace, if you had known these things that would make for you to grow up in Christ. And then Paul would say to the Philippians, I'm teaching you these things. And the things that you've learned, one, received, to or heard from me or seen in me. You do these things. You do the will. You put them into practice. You just don't believe a system of religious, emotional faith or impulses. It's you learn and you grow in a lifestyle where there's real, substantial growth. And Paul would say, listen, it's not about me being present because whether I'm with you or whether I'm not, you, Philippian church, are really growing because you're motivated not from the outside, you're motivated by the inside. So therefore, you work, you take the responsibility, and you, you follow Christ, you work out your own salvation because God will save you, but you have to apply that salvation so you can grow. It is conditional. And people don't know that. Paul knew that true joy... And this is the secret of the Philippian church. He knew that the true joy, and these are the principles, that the past saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross is applied, is applied for the salvation and the growth of faith. Paul knew that the continuing work of the Holy Spirit would depend upon your cooperation, my cooperation with God being given the allowance to say, Change me from the inside out. Paul would teach that if you want to be a growing, mature church, you have to be Christ-centered, not church-centered. And how often have you heard this one? Uh, would you, uh, you want to come to church? You want to come to church with me? And that's kind of standard, but we talk about church. We don't talk about Christ. We talk about issues. We don't talk about Christ. But Paul knew in this book that these people in Philippi were Christ-centered. And therefore, Paul would say, if you're following Christ, then that work that God is doing, he began in you, Philippians, would be a work of a humble faith. In other words, believer, if you're growing in Christ, you're going to find a solidity, a, 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 a serenity, a depth of substantiveness in your soul that you won't be threatened and there's something about this growing Christian that really is qualitatively different. Daniel 11.32 says it this way. People who know their God display strength and take action. 
Therefore, if you are a growing Christian, you're not a passive believer. You're an active follower of Christ. And therefore, Paul would say, you're going to work out, you're going to do this whether I'm with you or people see it. You are following Christ on your own when nobody knows what you're doing. The problem with a lot of churches is that they didn't know the secret that the Philippians heard from Paul because they had moved on from the basics and they moved into maturity. And here are the things that Paul would address that are obstacles to their joy. Paul would say, if you as a Christian are self-absorbed, preoccupied with your needs, preoccupied with your wants, preoccupied with me, 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 and my rights, my rights, my rights, if you're going to be self-absorbed, you won't hear the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be selfish and ambitious, that you want to get ahead and success is the answer. If you have selfish ambition in your heart, you're not hearing the Holy Spirit. If you are trying to manipulate people and manipulate the world for personal gain, if you're preaching the gospel out of some ulterior motive that people are going to think more highly of you because you're a minister or you're, you're spiritual or you've got it all together or whatever, he says, you, you don't get it. You're not maturing. If you think you don't need Christ, if you are self-sufficient and you don't give the Holy Spirit a chance to move, you won't know him. And these are the very obstacles he, he really brings into the Philippians. And the Philippians got it. They understood it, and they picked up because they were, they were responsive. They were sensitive. They, were, they wanted to follow Christ. They wanted to hear more of Paul. They wanted to be taught. And at the core, Paul understood this, that your real new self in Christ will never develop as long as you don't take responsibility to act on your own personal relationship with Christ and that you move into the dynamics of putting yourself at the feet of Christ in prayer before the Lord to say, the Holy Spirit, cleanse me of this selfishness inside of me. If you don't do that, and you can, you can hear the maturity level peppered all the way through, but Paul would say, these guys have confidence in the flesh. These people really aren't listening to the Spirit. And, and as, as a matter of fact, they're kind of grumbling and complaining or questioning. And this is the tendency of, of ordinary people, as Paul described as crooked and twisted. These are the people that you rub shoulders work, work with your neighbor, in your neighborhood. They don't know Christ, and therefore they're going to argue and complain. But these would obey. These around Christ would obey. Complaining, arguing, grumbling, or questioning is so common. But Jesus would say it this way, Truly I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, the power of the resurrection through the Holy Spirit will give you new life. And that's what the Philippians understood. Okay, now I can't read this one because it's all blanked out, so I'm going to turn it over here. Here's... Here's the things that Paul invested, and these are the things that mark the Philippian church. I'll go through these quickly. Jesus began that work. Jesus will finish that work. Philippians 1.6. I'm confident of this very thing. He said, by centering our lives on Christ, you too would say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. 
For me to live as Christ, not for me to live as myself as a Christian, for me to live as Christ. It's about Christ, not me. It, it's felt, and number three, it's felt by living in other-centered harmony and with one another. And if you're around the Philippian church, if you would step into that church, they would welcome you just like I think we do in this church. For you guys have that same spirit of working together in harmony. And I'm proud of that. I'm thankful for, to God. And then it comes only through mutual humility and other-centeredness. That's a mark of maturity, that you're not thinking about you. And you're not perfect there. You, you have good days and bad days. But the direction of our movement is we're servants. Five, this humility is modeled by the mindset that Christ had, that, that maturity that Timothy and Epaphroditus had, that they're willing, they're, they're willing to jump in. They're available to jump in because they were servants. They were servants. Number six, true joy occurs when we enter grace-based relationships and leave the past behind. This kingdom thinking really matured in their, in their lives because they had Paul setting the pace. We grow, we grow spiritually mature as we personally develop devotion and obedience to Christ. All that I would know him and the power of his resurrection. And what it means to be like Christ in pain. Paul understood this, and he passed it on to the Philippians. We trust the Holy Spirit to continue his work inside, addressing our motives. When they're wrong, he realigns them, and our attitudes to be self-centered, to be other-centered. And then at the end, chapter 4, he uses that conflict with Yodi and Sendaki. These are not conflicts. These are opportunities for the Holy Spirit to demonstrate, not only through uh, the immediate conflict, those involved in conflict, but by the whole body coming alongside and giving grace and helping them mature. And therefore, what Paul says, in order to handle these issues and to be prepared for the persecution and the, and the circumstances coming up, you need to rely on God's resources. And he goes over that with prayer. He goes over that with, with a rejoicing spirit. He says, God's going to give you strength, and he's going to meet all your needs. But you can learn to be content in all of these things. If you are growing, but if you're not going to grow, you're going to grumble and complain. You're going to have conflict, and there's the tension. This group was on the move. This was a healthy church. And therefore, he said, in this way, in the Christ-like manner, be responsible and grow up in Christ. Get that mindset. And this book, this book of Philippians, wow, it is, it is such a model for us that to summarize those points, let me just put it this way simply, that I would ask you to reflect with me on your own life. It's about your communion with Jesus. If Jesus Christ were here today and he set down this noontime to have lunch with you. And he says, you know, where have you been? Where have you been? I haven't had time with you this week. I haven't had time with you this month. I haven't talked with you for six months. You've been in church, but you haven't been with me. You're not sitting at my feet. You're standing outside. How's your communion? How's your spirit with Christ? Do you find yourself growing being drawn more in devotion because you really want him? Or is it kind of dull? 
and you haven't had any growth for a long time and God doesn't speak to you because you're not listening. The Philippians knew how to pay attention. Second, they knew how to cooperate. They needed to give up themselves and they, they learned as we need to learn that as God has worked in you, as he began the work, he will continue the work. Well, let me ask you this. What is God doing in your heart? Could you point to anything right now that you say the Holy Spirit in the last two weeks, three weeks, month, whatever time, God is doing this work in my life. Can you have any lesson? Do you have anything to say? Christian, are you growing? Are you cooperating with the Spirit in new and fresh ways? Because if you're not, you're just kind of repeating the old things that you've done for years and years and years. Growth means grow. How about this one? Compassion and conflict. If you are afraid because you don't have the grace to deal with conflict, oh, let the Holy Spirit work in your life because you don't know how powerful grace and a gentle answer, well, the impact that will have, that you can minister to those who are really in struggles. And you know what they are. Uh, God knows what they are. But more than anything, are you falling more in love with the Lord or you're kind of bored with the Lord. And therefore, if God's love is touching you, you'll worship in a way as a po- different than just going through the motions. The Philippian church understood what it was like to be alive in Christ because of Paul's influence and, and Silas and Timothy's and Paphroditus. So let me leave you with these thoughts. If you wish to live richly, deeply, spiritually mature, you must cultivate the, the Christ mindset within. It's a thrilling world to know that Christ would lead you, guide you, counsel you, that his eye is on you. How you doing, believer? How you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? We are here to help us all grow, all of us. We need grace. That's why our weakness is our qualification. And when, as soon as we do that, the Lord begins his work in his kids. Why was the book of Philippians written? So, as Jesus would say, that your joy in Christ would be made full. And that's what Christ wants for you. That you would experience the Lord in such a way that you would be free, as the apostle the heart would say. And that's the joy we have in Christ. Let me stop here. And let me give you the invitation that this summer, if you haven't planned to read, if you don't have a plan to read through the New Testament, I would encourage you every day this week to personally carve out a time and commit yourself to read, uh, to sit at his feet, to gather around with others, and to be there and say, Lord, teach me. Change me. Grow me. And that's the sign, the secret of the healthy church lessons from Philippians. Isn't that good stuff? The Lord Lord wants you to be strong. The Lord wants you to be rejoicing. The Lord wants you healthy. And I do too. So let me pray. Father, take these words. We humbly come and say, uh, if it's just going to be based on me doing this, I can't pull it off. 
but how thankful we are that the Spirit of God is our helper and that, Jesus, you are our Savior and our friend. And, Father, you understand what we need this hour to grow closer to you. Would you help us do that this day and this summer? And lead us now, Father, as your church, because you're the head. Give us ears to hear and hearts to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.